Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure cloud professionals. Solveto, EduHouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on eduhouse.fi slash cloudpro. I am Tobias, and I am back again with UC. What's up, my friend? Hey, Tobias. Um, interesting story. A bit sad, a bit funny, depending on your viewpoint. Uh, occasionally, I need to connect a customer laptop or my own laptop next to my workstation at home. So I have a few displays on the on the table. I have a real PC that I built. It's in a big tower. And the problem is that I cannot really sort of connect the laptop next to the PC and somehow share the displays and the keyboard and the mouse. So the obvious solution for anybody listening on this thinking, well, there's a KVM switch a keyboard video mouse switch so you can connect the real pc and the laptop to a kvm switch and then all of your displays and usb devices there as well and now you have a button which you can push to switch between which display uh, sorry which device i'm using for the same display so you can hop back and forth between two or more pcs but the fancy kvm switches that support 4k are very expensive, around 600 euros. I was blown away, oh, they're so expensive. So I figured I'll think about this for three months, and I, if I still have the need, if I still feel I really, really need one, I'll go and buy one. And it's been three months now. So I was about to buy one. But last night, my colleague asked on our Teams chat, hey, you see, why aren't you using the KVM switch in your fancy display? And yes, my display has one. <laughs> I never thought of checking that. So last night I spent three minutes connecting everything on the display and it works. Yeah, nice. And when, when you mentioned KVM switch, I was like, good junk, 1998. That's <laughs> yes. when I was working in a local, which is actually a, a global enterprise worldwide now, uh, company where I was in the help desk and, and IT department where we had these old KVM switches. They were, yep. you know, the hottest thing back then, but you, you switched an actual big toggle switch and it said like, yep. k-clunk. And then it took like 10 seconds for everything to kind of switch over in the, the flickering monitor and everything. And then after a while, all right, there you go. Everything's connected to the other one. And then k-clunk, you went back. Yep. That's my experience with KVM switches. Nowadays, I have a Bluetooth keyboard that can connect to three different devices and the same with the mouse from Logitech, and I just say, connect to device number one, bam, it's connected to my laptop. Connect to device number two, uh, number two, bam, it's connected to my work laptop, that's it. And for the monitor, I just plug in my USB-C cable, which is connected to the dock and everything. So pretty low effort, and I'm not spending those 600 euros uh, for anything like that ever again, even though it was cool in 1998. Uh, so on my side, and uh, apart from now bringing up nostalgia, which I think we need to do an episode on our journey in the IT field from day one until today, that's a different story. I am back in the saddle in a double sense, literally back in the saddle on my road bike after about seven weeks of no working out. So I had four weeks of vacation. I had the sniffles. I got the coughing. You know, I got the whatever germs the kid brought home just in time for my vacation. So all of my vacation I spent with, you know, the sniffles and a sore throat. Awesome. Um, now I'm back in the satellite work as well, charging ahead to build 
you know, the best customer outcomes possible when adopting and operating the cloud. So I'm very energized, slightly sore in my legs now after my first bike ride a couple of days back. Uh, but I'm also really happy that vacation is over. So I can really spend time uh, working on amazing things again and record this podcast, obviously, uh, and bring back all those nostalgic memories. So hopefully we'll do an episode on that soon. Awesome. Happy for you. When you mentioned the the old KVM switches from 1998, I'm already thinking about LPT1 and COM1 and COM2 <laughs> ports that we had back in the day. You would have to connect oh, those. Yeah. Oh, the serial ports and the uh, and the parallel ports and the printer ports. Yep. And you could play Age of Empire in uh, 1999, I think, if you connected a cable between two PCs directly yes. without actual internet. Amazing. Yes. Good stuff. Uh, on community highlights today, stuff that we've been reading uh, this week, uh, I think we both have one entries. Would you like to start with, with, with the one you have? Sure. Uh, I found one by Ronak Chokshi uh, on introducing a new Atra AI language video series that is just showcasing features powered by Atra OpenAI and stuff like that. Um, so that link is also in the show notes. It's interesting if you want to digest news and uh, capabilities with Azure AI language uh, in a different format than just reading about it. There's now a video series that is covering uh, plenty ground in that space. Awesome stuff. Uh, for me, this is a blog from Saul Dolgin on introducing the Azure Business Continuity Guide. So it's a set of recommendations to help define what the BCDR, we talked about BCDR a couple of episodes back, would look like on Azure for their application. So both of these you can find in the show notes. So there's the links, go and have a look at those. So today's episode is about a peek into a secure future with Microsoft Entra Global Secure Access. So this is a little bit different because this is something we haven't really tri really tried out in practice because it's yes it's in public preview some bits are in private preview it's a bit of a gated preview in the sense that you have to send and fill out a form to get access for certain capabilities so i've read about this a lot i haven't deployed this to any customers so for this episode, Toby, I think this is a bit like a blind leading the blind in trying to understand how this works. <laughs> yeah, it is, because I actually have no idea what it is other than what I just read about it. So I'm uh, I'm interested to just explore, you know, uh, follow kind of the train of thought as we do sometimes to, uh, to see what this is and just kind of digest uh, what this service is and what it does. Exactly. And what I often find out uh, when I work in IT, I meet with customers, I meet with consultants, I meet with competitors, with Microsoft partners. What I often find in IT is that there's this sort of unwritten rule that you cannot state that you do not know something. You always have to sort of go, yeah, it depends. Let me have a look. And, and then you go back home and you spend the whole evening trying to rain dump all the data. And then you come back the next day. Yeah, so I know everything about this because I spent two hours reading about this. So I am openly admitting I do not know everything about global secure access. There's some guidance on Microsoft Learn. We'll we'll add the link for that in the show notes. And then there's some reflection from us on well, what would this mean in practice? Who would need this? And 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 why do we need this again? But to sort of get started on this one, 
Microsoft Entra, which is the marketing brand and the new name for most Azure AD related capabilities. So Microsoft Entra ID used to be called Microsoft Azure Active Directory. So Microsoft Entra Global Secure Access, this is the product and the offering. But what it includes, it actually includes two different services. And these are Microsoft Entra Internet Access and Microsoft Entra Private Access. Any thoughts on this? Are, do, do, do you feel these are clear namings? Uh, I, I think it is pretty clear from the name what they do, like private access, obviously for your private connections and internet access. Maybe if you have public endpoints, maybe if you have uh, apps running that customers should be able to access over the internet. Um, you know, I'm making an assumption um, on those things without knowing all things about it. But if Microsoft follows a healthy naming standard, then Microsoft Entra Internet Access means you can connect over the internet and Microsoft Entra private access means you need a private endpoint of some type. Yeah, yeah I would I would agree. And and internet access to me uh, tells that wherever you are, wherever your devices, your users are in the office at home, working remotely from customer side, that internet access is somehow the accessibility for those devices and users to access the public internet. And private access typically means on-premises software, software that's not publicly accessible. So perhaps it, it has required a VPN or some sort of secure gateway access to, to get there. So when you start looking at global secure access, you're really looking at two different products, but you don't have to deploy both of them. You can just go for Microsoft Entra Internet Access or Microsoft Entra Private Access. Let's lose the Microsoft Entra for now, so Internet Access and Private Access. But when you configure this, you're sort of already config configuring the whole global secure access capability. So to sort of start unpacking this, how I realized these two services and global secure access, it's an evolution to zero trust. And I recall we did an episode on zero trust at least once, maybe six, eight, ten months ago. Yeah, we did a, a couple of episodes surrounding Zero Trust. Uh, it's It's been a while. Uh, not exactly sure when we did them, but we did talk about them. Actually, I think that was in 2022. We, we talked about trust no one. I look at Zero Trust in 2022. Um, I think that was episode 113. And then we had lessons learned on the Zero Trust in the past year as well where I think that was 162, where we talked about uh, yeah, just what we learned from implementing zero trust solutions in the last year. So uh, it's a hot topic. It's going to keep being a hot topic. Um, so I, I definitely think uh, zero trust as a topic is not going away. And everything that you see now that has to do with access, identities, protecting your endpoints, you're always going to see the same things, right? Verify explicitly use least privilege and assume breach, like the three pillars or principles of zero trust. So whatever you do, you're going to see those things. Um, so I, I took a look just now uh, on Microsoft Entra Internet Access, just to circle back on the meaning of that. I just want to read out like the one of the descriptions I found in the docs for that too, uh, to make it clear. It, it makes it more clear for me 
which is Microsoft Entra Internet Access, secures access to Microsoft 365 SaaS products and public internet apps while protecting users' devices and data against internet threats. So that was kind of the thing that I was missing in my assumption is that it also secures access to 365 and SaaS applications uh, where my assumption was public internet apps. Um, so just for awareness of the, the coverage of what internet access brings. That's a, that's a, that's a good addition for zero trust when it was well, not really announced, but when it was all the rage, maybe last year, it's still very relevant, of course, but last year it was it was the main topic. Uh, essentially on Azure, Zero Trust is about Entra, conditional access, Defender for Endpoint, and that's it. There really isn't a Microsoft Zero Trust product. There's a bunch of security-related capabilities that when you configure them, you can sort of claim that, well, we have a sort of a zero trust in place, but it's hard to define what it is. It's a bit like IoT. Well, it's devices and data and stuff. So a new sort of term or phrase has been coined called the secure service edge. So global secure access is Microsoft secure service edge solution, the SSE solution. So this combines security for the network, identity, an endpoint, and access. So companies should be able to secure any app, any resource, regardless if it's in on-premises, cloud, multi-cloud, random SaaS, wherever, it doesn't really matter. So, so this is kind of one, there's a diagram that goes with this. We'll, we'll put that in the show links as well, so you can click that up. Looking at the diagram, it looks like global secure access is a way to help you implement the principles of zero trust as well, right? Um, to protect your identities, your endpoints, your remote networks with, you know, the key principles, again, verify explicitly, use least privilege and assume breach. Um, so while, just like you mentioned, zero trust is a framework, it's more of a mindset. Um, of how to do things and how to think about security. This, the global secure access, helps you kind of bring that into something more tangible by securing endpoints, by securing identities, by you know em embracing some of those kind of key principles. Exactly, and this is a more advanced step from zero trust. And And why would companies need this though? Because all the enterprises and, and most larger companies, they already have typically VPNs in place. So all devices of employees, they perhaps have a split tunneling, so they have to open a VPN to access anything in the corporate network. And then they might use their public internet access to do whatever. Maybe there's an enforced web proxy that they go through, which is blocking stuff they shouldn't be accessing on a corporate device. So, so most companies already do this. But then if you want to control the apps and the data and the access, can you access everything everywhere if you just happen to have the access or should we have some sort of conditional access in there? Yes, we can do conditional access policies already. But the, the, the whole thinking with the secure service edge is that we'd ideally like to enforce all traffic and all access through controlled gateways that that we as a company can configure and monitor and control 
And in a way, it feels a bit like going backwards because previously with zero trust, it was trust no one, access anywhere, use any device, bring your own device. And now it's more of a use a proxy and push everything through that proxy, the global and, secure and access. And still don't trust anyone. <laughs> and still don't trust anyone, but at least we are forcing all traffic through our policies, through our gateways, and we are monitoring all traffic now. Yeah. So there's been different products from Microsoft for, for sort of implementing something like this, but they haven't really been connected in a cohesive offering. And I feel this is now the new incarnation of all of those with a brand new name. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that makes sense. Like the kind of idea of, it resonates with me what you said. It feels like going backwards in a way. Like you lock things down behind uh, gateways and, and VPNs and proxies and you require explicit verification and you require extra authentication, authorization, all these things. Um, you know, given the threat landscape now today in 2023, which is just ever increasing, all of these things are necessary to really protect an enterprise. So, so what else do we need to know about this thing? We know it kind of supports the principles of zero trust. It gives you internet access. It gives you private access through the global secure access service. What do we need to know about this thing? So, so let's look at internet access first, and let's talk about private access, and they share plenty of the of the same capabilities and for anybody listening on this now you can as of today you can go to entra.microsoft.com and start configuring this but there's a few fairly drastic limitations that are not supported right now that i wouldn't go and deploy this to a 10,000 people corporation right now i would i would wait a bit do pilots and prototypes to see how it performs. But let's talk about those in a, in a second. So intra internet access, which is the second half of the global secure access. This is for accessing Microsoft 365 and SaaS applications from wherever, on-premises, home offices, co-working spaces, branch offices, mobile data, whatever, as long as the device your employee is using is managed. So the device, as of today, can be anything. But if you want to deploy the uh, the client app that uh, enforces the traffic shaping for intra internet access, that is only available for Windows 10 and Windows 11 Enterprise. But you can configure this for the whole network. But then you need to build an IPsec tunnel. And the IPsec tunnel, obviously, is, is again, back to building VPNs like like back in the day. Yeah. And I'm I'm looking right now at global secure access, the the preview. Um just as you said, go to the entra.microsoft.com portal. I can see there's a new navigation at the bottom in the navigation called global secure access. I'm just looking at the dashboard here. And something that is good to understand and know about is there's a note. I, I cannot use this. And here's why. It says, we recommend using a Microsoft 365 E3 license, which includes Azure AD Premium P1. Azure AD Premium P1 is required for the preview. So that's good to know and, and kind of probably gives an indication on the licensing for, for this um, in the future. So you should expect Azure AD Premium P1 uh, to be required 
probably after the preview. That's an assumption on my end. But if the preview does require it, I'm pretty sure that that's what's going to roll into production. But, uh, you know, don't hold me to that. Uh, but as of today, I cannot enable this. I cannot click activate uh, because I don't have P1 for this tenant that I'm looking at right now. But that's exactly. Exactly. So P1 license, I think primarily because of conditional access that historically has required P1. So when you configure this, what you're actually doing, you're applying your custom conditional access policies for traffic that is tagged uh, to originate from your branch office, from your HQ, from your home offices. So you bundle all of those networks together so that you can control them. Then you apply your conditional access policies on what do you require from any device, any users accessing SharePoint Online, Exchange Online, Teams, and so on and so forth. Uh, one limitation here as of right now that we are recording this, there's support for EXO, Exchange Online, SPO, SharePoint Online, and common Microsoft 365. What is not supported though, what you cannot seemingly uh, enforce the traffic for is Teams. So Teams is still outside this. Obviously, conditional access applies to Teams, but not the internet access policies that you set per network or per device. Uh, the other limitation, only Windows clients are supported for now if you want to do per device controlling. So if you have a Mac OS like I have on the MacBook Pro, I would then have to configure my whole network that my device connects through from the office to be enforced through the IPsec tunnel. And again, if you're listening on this and thinking, well, this is nothing new. This is, this is what we've been building for ages. Yes, yes, you have. But these different building blocks have, have been fairly disconnected. You would do conditional access here. You would do site-to-site -site VPN tunnels or express route there. And now the idea is that you have a single dashboard for bringing all of these together, and then you can monitor. So the dashboard is going to tell you what are the top use destinations, what are the active devices, what are the inactive devices, how does your network look like? And all of these have been missing previously. So it, it's, it's beginning to shape like a really good unified platform for controlling access. Am I selling this well enough for you, Toby? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense. And like, I obviously don't have a, a specific need for this myself today, given my current role. And, you know, I don't need to deal with setting any of these things up for my business because my business is pretty big and I am in no control of that. Um, but it does make sense, a, a lot of sense. And this is something that would help me sleep better at night if I were still managing a, a company. And if I were the CIO of a company saying, hey, we need to control the security or a CISO saying, hey, how do how do devices access things? How do we access Microsoft 365? How do we access Exchange Online or SharePoint Online and, and you know whatever 365 services we have um, or SaaS apps or internet apps that we're using? How do we secure those? How do we manage the access for those? This is something that I would definitely be looking at because that gives you that kind of edge. And, you know, having worked in a security role in my past and in operations, it was, you know, you had SLAs, you had security incidents, you had audit logs, you had all the things you had to monitor and look at all the time and respond to in timely fashion. Whatever you could do, 
to make sure that you lessen the threat uh, you would do. And that is, for example, in this case, about closing out access, requiring a tunnel or a proxy. So does it make sense? A hundred percent. Because I, I never slept well knowing that there's room for improvement on the security space for whatever you're operating. Um, so as long as there's something you can do to strengthen your security posture, you should do that because your adversaries, they're already one step ahead. Might, you know, zero trust, think about it. They might already be on the inside. If they are, how do you limit the impact in the blast radius? There's a lot of things to think about, especially working in a security role. Um, so 100% makes perfect sense. Long story short, uh, yes. Good, good. So <laughs> continuing to private access then, and this is secure access from your devices to corporate resources. So this is typically on-premises, SharePoints, file shares, SQLs, web apps, whatever you have. And on-premises doesn't mean that it has to be locally in the office or in this exact data center. So an on-premises app can be something that you self-host through a partner, or perhaps you have a, an ISV providing a custom-built application for you, which is not in Azure or AWS or Google Cloud. So what this does, it utilizes the Microsoft Entra ID application proxy. So this used to be called Azure AD application proxy. It uses the same bits for this. So you're deploying an app proxy connector, which builds an HTTPS tunnel between your on-premises networks and Entra ID. I was about to say Azure AD again. <laughs> and, and again, it's a cohesive product that controls this. So instead of sort of manually deploying a singular proxy here and there, and then ramping up individual apps, what you're really doing, you're ramping up on full networks. You could do this, this with our proxies previously as well, but now you have the control interface for private access. So clients, in order to utilize this, they have to be Azure AD joint or hybrid joint and Windows 10 or 11 enterprise. So, so, this, so that means you cannot just have, because you also have the registered option, right? You can register with Azure AD, but yeah. with your device, but you have to actually join the domain, yeah. right? You actually have to join. And if it's just locally joined to an on-premises AD, that is not enough. So you need the visibility from Entra ID and it's called Azure AD joined. It's not Microsoft Entra ID joined. That would be confusing. <laughs> uh, you need those devices to be managed so that you can deploy policies, you can have Defender for Endpoint, you can actually control what they get access to, and you can do single sign-on. And then you uh, configure the proxy connector, and then you apply the conditional access policies. So all of these you have been able to do previously as well, but now there's a unified offering, a single dashboard showing you who's going where, what sort of audit logs are we getting? What sort of traffic logs? There's workbooks. There's the connection configuration. And there's something called the quick access in Entra private access, where you list all of your FQDNs, all of your domains, and all of your IP addresses. So again, perhaps somebody who's super uh, educated on all things networking goes, hold on, FQDNs and IP addresses and networks, this sounds like Microsoft Direct Access from back in the day. 
yes, yes, it does. It's not the same though, but it sort of has the same idea. But direct access obviously was uh, hosted on the on-prem with a local AD and maybe ADFS and all of that and IPv6 problems and all that. Now this is all in the cloud, driven from the cloud that allows you to connect back. The limitation here for private access is that for now it only supports TCP connections. So UDP, anything fancy like WebSockets out of support, even if AppProxy itself does support them. But there's probably a different set of capabilities here for now. So again, you can test and prototype this. I wouldn't deploy this into production just yet. So on cost, nobody, nobody, nobody knows what this is going to cost yet. So we already talked that there's going to be the uh, the P1 license. That's a requirement. Not sure if you have to license all of your employees with P1 or just those who actually use this. And if there's any additional cost, and I would guess because you're building an IPsec tunnel and or the proxy connector, so there's probably going to be an additional charge for deploying this. Any thoughts? on private access or internet access or cost? I mean, I, I have a couple of thoughts and things in general, but just to leave it with the cost right now, I, I think what you said there, it, it already does require P1, so you're already paying for, for that. And if this then becomes included in the P1, that's awesome. Um, like you said, there, there might be additional things. I don't know if you have to pay for ingress and egress traffic or something like this going through the tunnels. Uh, you know, going through ad proxy connectors or something like that. No idea, but it's good to keep an eye on. So whenever this evolves and goes into GA and, and becomes announced for kind of general consumption in production, uh, I would go take a look at the cost and just make sure, like, what are the boxes you have to tick to understand the, the cost impact, which I think for everything we talk about, for every service we talk about, for every angle we spend on, on anything deployed to Azure, we always say, what does it cost? What is the license? Because I, I think both of us have been in situations several times where you deploy something and you think it's going to cost you X, but then there was a surcharge of Y because, you know, whatever reasons, there might be network traffic, there might be ingress and egress traffic, there might be storage storage cost. Um, so yeah, my answer on cost is I have absolutely no idea. I haven't looked into that. Um, I haven't researched any of it, but when the documentation goes live for GA, I'm pretty sure that's gonna be clear on the licensing. Agreed. Uh, if you want to try this out and you go to entry.microsoft.com, and then when you actually start configuring this for the uh, the traffic connection, what you have to do as of right now this might change in in the coming weeks you have to send an email to a microsoft alias with a guid of your deployment and they'll enable it and come back to you with the ipsec tunnel and the bgp routing connectivity details so that you can actually set up the tunnel for for uh internet access i did that two days ago i never got a response but if I'm now looking at Entra portal, it allows me now to click further with the configuration. So perhaps that email is, is on the way as well so that I can get the IPsec tunnel running. So early days, 
and and I'm excited for the future with this one. I'm slightly afraid that this will take longer than we hope for to mature enough so that it could serve all the workloads, like the omission for team support and whatnot. Perhaps those will come fast enough. But at the same time, I feel this is also a huge undertaking. So smaller organizations will probably not deploy this ever. They will simply say, yeah, let's use HTTPS and do device management. That's enough. But for any larger corporations, this is definitely something they need to look into. Yeah, and I, I feel this is now building a buzz a little bit. Uh, you know, I keep hearing more more about it. It's like when you see a startup online go on social media or anywhere and they say, hey, we just built this prototype for something amazing. It's awesome. There's a private preview. Click here to sign up. And whenever you click the link, it's, oh, we're already fully booked. We had 10,000 signups. The form is now closed and you have to get in a wait list. You know, so this kind of exclusive thing. Uh, so I feel I have the same sense here that, you know, a lot of folks want to have this. A lot of folks need to have this for, you know, obvious reasons around security and protecting your kind of cloud estate and your and your data. Um, so I, I, I see that whenever this gets unlocked, I am pretty sure we can find a couple of customer cases, either with people working in the field as consultants or with and customers directly to talk about how did you implement this and what benefits did it give you? So that's something I'm looking forward to. Now we kind of explored what is this? Why should you look into it? Obviously, we didn't give you all the scoopy details on exactly how to configure this thing because that will be clear in the documentation. But the next step for, for me would be to maybe in half a year or something, revisit, come back and say, all right, so what did companies now do with this? You know, How did they enhance their security posture by ensuring that they uh, kind of follow the, the global secure access thing? Exactly. This is this is looking promising, but but let's give it a few more months. And Microsoft Ignite is coming up, so I'm expecting perhaps announcements on this or hoping announcements on this. All righty. Make sure to check the show notes. We'll we'll add the links to the relevant resources to learn more about this and the community highlights as well. The last bit, the unexpected question, Toby. I'm going to ask you an unexpected question. Are you ready? Let's go. If you could have any superpower, but it could only be used for mundane tasks, what would you choose and why? <laughs> okay, so there, um, oh, I have a long list of superpowers I always <laughs> wanted. Uh, but if you can only use them for mundane tasks, I would say, so two things related to the same thing, my, my vision or my sight. I'm wearing glasses today. So kind of like Clark Kent, right? I would like to have X-ray vision, uh, and if I can only use that for mundane tasks, I would use it to check if I need to buy milk in the fridge without opening the door, right? Uh, I know that you have modern fridges that have the built-in thing. You tap on the thing and it shows you a camera uh, view from the inside and whatever. But if I could do that without buying a new fridge, even better. So that's what I would use it for. And uh, the second superpower is just great eyesight so I don't have to wear my glasses. I also know I can pay to get that, but you know, I'm not doing that right now. So that would be my answer. Uh, Short-sighted x-ray vision so I can see what's in the fridge without opening the door. Because then also the kids won't wake up when I open the door. They're like, oh, snack time. And so now I can avoid that. Yeah, I, I would like that as well. Because with teenagers in the house, I sometimes open the fridge. Oh, there's two milk cartons. We're good. 
but then when you actually lift them, there's like nothing left in them. They just put <laughs> them back because yeah, somebody could still extract a few drops of milk from these. Mm. And then you go, why can't you put these in the trash? Well, I figured somebody would still like to try if they can get something out from them. <laughs> I am trying the educational route here, but let's see how it goes. Alrighty, thanks for joining us. See you next week. All right, see you then.